0: We are in a series um, called God is with me as we look at the life of Joseph. And this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 40 and 41, two chapters, Genesis 40 and 41, and we're going to talk about this subject title, In All Seasons, In All Seasons, because God is with his people in all seasons of life, right? We are in my favorite season right now probably, and that is fall. Uh, Did you enjoy that fall day we had yesterday? Um hope you enjoyed it. It's gone. Um, maybe it'll come back around in December. Um, but we we don't really get a like a real fall here, but I love November through January in Orlando. It's the best best weather uh, that we get. but that's my season. everybody's got their favorite season. There's things I like about every season. Um, but you know the the thing about uh, what Climate changes and weather changes and the seasons, and when you go through spring, summer, fall, winter, as, they, as, as things change from month to month and from year to year, um, we can be reminded um, that God stays the same and through all those seasons. And life is a lot like the weather seasons. We go through different seasons in life, and we need to let the, the kind of the weather be a reminder to us that in every season of life we go through... God stays the same, and so sometimes you're in spring, and everything is new, and you're growing, and man, everything seems new to you, and all kinds of stuff's going on in your life, and it's like that springtime of life, and sometimes it's summer, and it's a time of rest, and it's a time of enjoyment and refreshment. Sometimes you go through fall, and things are withering, and some things are falling away, and as you transition, and and sometimes, unfortunately, we go through kind of a winter of just coldness and and darkness, maybe even, and, 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 and death. And so life is like that. We go through all those seasons, but in every season of life, God is faithful, and God is with his people. We're going to see some seasons here in Joseph's life this morning, and how he was, experienced the faithfulness of God in all those se- seasons, and how he was faithful to God. At this point that we're going to get to in Joseph's life this morning, he has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He has been falsely accused by his master's wife after rejecting her temptation to sexual immorality, and then he's been unjustly imprisoned for that, for that crime he did not commit. And while in prison, though he finds favor with the prison guard, um, and he puts Joseph in charge, um, he's still locked in prison. And so he's in this kind of this up and down, so it's like he, he, go, he goes becomes a slave, he, he excels and he becomes kind of the head of the household, and then he gets falsely accused. He winds up in prison, but then he's the he's kind of like the number two guy in the prison. He's overseeing things, and so it's like this roller coaster ride. But it's still kind of like this 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 you kind of like this decline that's happening in his life from from the pit to slavery to the prison. But just as God gave him favor as a slave and God gave him favor as a prisoner, we're going to see God just continue to give him favor in his life. And so let's read Joseph's story this morning and learn some truths that can help us be faithful to God in all seasons of life. And so Genesis 40 is where we're going to start. I'm not going to read all of both chapters. But we are going to read a good portion. So I'm going to read for a little while Paul's. I'll tell you when I'm skipping ahead and things of that nature. We'll summarize some portions. So let's start in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 40. Sometime after this, after he's been put in prison, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt And his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh, that's the king of Egypt, was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Now, at this time, at this place in the world, at this time in human history, dream interpretation was a big deal. And if you could somehow interpret someone's dream and things of that nature, it was, it was, it was a way to kind of climb the ladder, so to speak. And they really valued dreams. They really thought there were a lot of meaning in dreams. And as we see at times, there were. But they, and so there were people who really kind of set out to be dream interpreters. But they couldn't find anyone in this prison cell, uh, in this prison um, that could interpret their dreams. Now, notice Joseph's character and compassion already coming through here. Uh, these guys are fellow prisoners. Joseph is charged with attending to them as he's been kind of uh, placed in charge, so to speak, as a, as a manager, if you will, underneath the prison guard. And But he's still a prisoner. But Joseph sees they're upset. He sees they're downcast. And even though he's in prison for un- something unjustly, for crimes he didn't commit, he cares. He wants to know, what's the matter? He He cared. And it, God is actually going to use his ordinary kindness is actually about to spark what's about to lead him out of prison, okay? And it starts with just being kind to people in everyday life. And notice Joseph's confidence. Don't interpretations belong to God? He sees God as sovereign over their dreams, and that tells you something about how Joseph saw God in his circumstances. He sees God as sovereign, as as the authority, as in control at all times. These dreams, they belong to God. Verse 9 says, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. Now, his dream imagined him once again back in his position, squeezing grapes into Pharaoh's cup. He was the cupbearer, so he would take the grapes and he'd just squeeze them right into the cup. That way they knew that nothing was wrong with that, uh, with the juice, that it wasn't poisoned or anything like that. And Joseph ensured him that this meant he was soon to have his job back and be out of prison within three days. It was all good news. And in verses 14 through 16, Joseph says, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So Joyce, Joseph is pointing out his innocence. He has suffered two acts of gross injustice. Right? He's been, he's been thrown into a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery. And now he is imprisoned for something he didn't do. In verse 16, when the chief, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. So in other words, he goes, okay... He tells him his dream. Well, that sounds good, so I'll tell you my dream. His dream involved birds eating bread from his head. Now, remember, he's the baker, and he had all these baskets of bread. He dreams that he's got these baskets, and he's even got one sitting on his head, and birds are eating out of it. I don't understand what this dream means. Well, his dream was bad news, whereas the cupbearer was to have, as Joseph said, have his head lifted up, metaphorically speaking, and be back in his position um, of of service. He was going to have his head lifted up in a more literal fashion and was going to be hung. And so he was going to die in three days. Both were going to be called out of prison, one to restoration, one to death. Verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, so now there's been three days passed, just like Joseph said, and it's Pharaoh's birthday. Now, did you should know something? In their culture, it was common for a pharaoh, for a king, to let some prisoners free on his birthday as part of the celebration. So on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He brings them up, right, in front of everybody. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Remember, that was all one thing Joseph asked for. Hey, I'm going to do you this solid and tell you what this means, and it's good news. Just remember me when you get out of here. Let Pharaoh know I'm not supposed to be here. I'm unjustly in prison, but he's forgotten. Chapter 41, verse 1 through verse 9. After two whole years, so two years passes from that moment, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, the Nile River, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. What he's saying is, I remember I messed up. There was this guy that I knew in prison that I was supposed to tell you about him, and I forgot all about it. He's remembering that. And I remember this time that me and you, we didn't we weren't caught seeing eye to eye. I remember you locked me and the other guy in prison. And, and well, this one particular, we dreamed dreams, and he interpreted the dreams, and he interpreted them correctly. The one guy's dead, and here I am serving you. He's explaining to Pharaoh there in the next several verses, verses 10 through 13, what happened. And what you see happening here is now... It, God is working through dreams, and we, we talked about at the beginning of Joseph's life that when you couldn't see God in Genesis 37, you can know he's there because he's working in and through the dreams of Joseph. We're going to find that out later, and you see God's fingerprints all over this as well. This, this dream that freaks Pharaoh out, why did it freak? It said it troubles his soul. Why did it trouble? He's just freaked out by it. It's a weird dream. I've never had a a dream quite like this, right? Where you're like, this it has to mean something. And that's what Pharaoh thinks. The the skinny cows are eating the fat cows. It must mean something, right? The the skinny grain is eating the, the plump grain. And he's just completely freaked out by it. And good news for him, his cupbearer knows someone who interprets dreams. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he begins to unload his dream. and He just repeats the dream that we just read. And so Joseph's taking it all in, and now Joseph's going to tell him what that dreams mean. Now, now, notice verse sixteen there that Joseph is very quick to point out that this ability to inter- interpret dreams is not just some natural ability Joseph has; it, it's a supernatural gift from God. It's not in me. God will give the favorable answer. Remember the last time he interpreted dreams, he says what he says is do these not belong to God. Do interpretations not belong to God? He knows it is God, not Joseph, who is sovereign over dreams. He wants Pharaoh to know that. And Joseph is constantly pointing beyond himself to the one he is created in the image of to make much of, the one who really deserves the glory. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. So the two dreams you have, they're really, they have one meaning. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. In other words, this is this is from God. God God is revealing what he's about to do to do. And then Joseph explains in verses 26 through 32, he explains the dream. And what the dream means is that there's going to be seven years of abundance. Seven years of good times where, man, the weather's going to be just right, the climate's going to be just right, and that grain's going to grow like crazy, and you're going to have more grain than you know what to do with. But that's a good thing because then there's going to be seven years of bad times of famine, where grain's not going to grow like it's supposed to and you need to know that that's coming. This is from God. And the fact that you had two dreams tells us that it is established by God, that it is definitely going to happen this way. And then Joseph tells him what he should do. This is going to happen. That famine, Abundance and then famine. This is what you must do. Verse 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for, good in the, for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall, serve, shall be a reserve uh, for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Quite the scene, right? In verse 44, we see Joseph is given a new Egyptian name. He's given a wife who was an Egyptian priest's daughter. This, Joseph's 30 when this, about 30 years old when this has happened. And he goes on from this point to begin to perfectly execute the plan that he laid out for Pharaoh. Now... Things have changed quite a bit at this point in Joseph's life. He has went from, you know, literally the bottom of a pit in a prison that was actually under the ground and to now he is the vice president, if you will, of Egypt. He's number two in command. He rides in the second chariot. I mean, people are running before him saying bow the knee. He's got the signet ring on his finger symbolizing the authority of Pharaoh. In other words, when he acts, it's just like Pharaoh is acting. The, the signet ring of the king, was it, was it was a sign of authority. He would use it to sign papers and to seal documents. And Joseph had access to that now. That's the kind of uh, a rise to power that you're seeing here because of the favor God has given him and this ability to interpret genes. And I love that you notice he's clothed with linen garments. Remember, all through Joseph's life, you can follow his story through his garments. The coat of many colors is taken from him and used to lie about him and say that he's dead. And then he leaves a garment behind when he flees immorality from Potiphar's wife and she takes it and she uses, lies about him and uses it against him to accuse him of a crime he did not commit and he ends up in prison. But now, he's got fine Egyptian linen uh, garments on his back and, uh, and we see everything is changing symbolically and literally for Joseph. Verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says do you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So what is a time of great Famine for the rest of the earth becomes a time of great profit for Egypt. God's fingerprints are all over Joseph's story. Here we see him at his worst, hanging on to hope but forgotten and then exalted to the peak of opportunity, up and down and up again, God at work in the midst of every single season of his life. Now let me give you a couple of truths to hold on to in all seasons that are in the roller coaster of life. And a couple of actions to take that go with those truths that I believe will help us and aid us in being faithful to God in, in these seasons just as God is faithful to us. Number one, know this. God remembers you in all seasons. Therefore, remember Him. Okay. The truth to hold on to is that God remembers you in every season of life. The action to take is we need to remember God. And we see this played out in Joseph's story. The big tension in chapter 40 is how the cupbearer forgets Joseph. That's the transition there that's happening in 40 and 41. Joseph interprets the dream. All he asks is that the cupbearer remember him and let Pharaoh uh, know of his unjust imprisonment. Very simple thing, right? Seems like a simple trade. Seems like you would remember the dude that interpreted the dream for you that said you were going to live and the other guy was going to die, that you could remember to tell the king about that. But no, he forgets. And I got to thinking, imagine how Joseph felt the day the cupbearer got out of prison, right? He tells him the dream. Three days from now, third day rolls around, he gets out of prison, just like he said. The dream is just as I said, he's going to be set free. I'm going to be out of prison soon. He's going to tell Pharaoh. I I mean, it's going to be seen that this was all unjust. And He may even get word from the guard that the baker's been killed and the cupbearer's been set free. But then a day goes by and a second day and a third day and a week and a month and the text tells us, Two years go by after this moment. forgotten. It begins to sit in. Have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt like nobody is listening? Have you ever felt taken advantage of, left behind, not given your due, looked over and looked past? Of course you have. I'm sure you have at some point or another. Rightfully or wrongfully, you've felt that way. And Have you ever made the right decision, done the right thing, Walked in integrity only to be passed over and tossed aside. Have you ever blessed someone else only to be stepped on and stepped over by that same person? It's easy to feel forgotten when you're in a trial. When you're in a difficult season. When you're in a painful season. It's very easy. That's actually one of the temptations that you will battle, even as a believer, through your seasons of trial and through your seasons of difficulty, is that temptation to feel forgotten. Forgotten. To think nobody cares what you're going through. That nobody's paying attention. And maybe even to wonder, God, do you care? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you remember me? The text kind of wants us to ask, has God forgotten Joseph? See, the phrase in verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. As one scholar notes, the idea of remembering, God remembering in the book of Genesis is a key theme. In Genesis 8, 1, God remembers Noah. God remembers Noah. In chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, he remembers his covenant with Noah. You get over to chapter 19, verse 29, God remembers Abraham. You get to chapter 30, verse 22, God remembers Joseph's mother, Rachel. It's a key theme. And then you get to Joseph's story and you see, well, the cupbearer forgot God forget Joseph. Where's the phrase that God remembered Joseph? Right now, no one wants to to feel forgotten. No one wants to be forgotten. And, and, and a fear that anybody can face in any temptation is being looked over, being forgotten, not being cared for, especially by God in a season of trial. This past year, I remember there were the, we watched a movie. I think it's been out a couple of years. A little children's movie called Coco. You may seen that movie, Coco. It's a cartoon and a Disney movie. And the hit song that I think won the Oscar uh, was this song called Remember Me. That was the name of the song because the movie keys in on a cultural practice um, by some in and from Mexico um, called The Day of the Dead. It is geared, the whole movie is geared around families not forgetting their loved ones on that day, the day of the dead. Living people set aside that day to celebrate the memories of those who died. Now in the movie, I don't understand all the cultural things, but in the movie, if they forget them, they uh, they just kind of go away. So if they forget to to remember them and to look at their picture and to think about them and give thanks for their life at some point out in the land of the dead, they cease. Now listen, there's all kinds of theological errors and problems with that. It's not a theologically correct cartoon. It is a cartoon, and its theology is pretty cartoonish. But it points to something that's very important, and that is that in every culture, no one wants to be forgotten. It it is a fear that all humanity faces in life and in death. No one wants to be forgotten. That's why we do tombstones. That's why we put a tombstone. We carve it in granite. So and so is here. They live from here. We don't want to be forgotten. We want to be remembered. And here's Joseph who's done everything right it seems like. Who's walked in his integrity and he's forgotten. And the text begs you to ask, has God forgotten him? But God hadn't forgotten him. The text is going to show us God remembers Joseph. Not by saying the phrase God remembers Joseph. But us seeing it played out in Joseph's life. God remembered Joseph just as he did Noah and Abraham and Rachel. And just as he always does his people, God is always faithful. And whatever trial or season we go through, God sees us, he hears us, he loves us, he cares for us. He remembers us in our time of trial. People will forget. People will mistreat us. People will look past us and over us. But God never forgets his people. He remembers you, and he's always working, remember, for your good, for his glory in Christ Jesus. God is not a forgetful, derelict father. He is not. And the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us that even when we were sinners, even when we were enemies of God, even when we deserved nothing but judgment and wrath, the Lord took thought of us, And sent his son to redeem us out from underneath the curse of the law. To pay the penalty of our sin. And to bring us in and make us family. The gospel tells us that God is a God who remembers his people. And how much more now that we're not enemies but his children does God remember his people and look after us. But don't miss this. Joseph never forgot God. His faithfulness is a product of God's faithfulness at work in his life. But He remembered the Lord. God was faithful. Joseph was faithful. Joseph, you see Joseph throughout the text remembering God. In chapter 40, verse 8, when the cupbearer and the baker shared that they've had dreams that they can't interpret, Joseph says what? Do not interpretations belong to God? Joseph was away from home, away from God's people, in a foreign land that does not worship Yahweh, but still believing God was in control and pointing these guys to him. Chapter 41, verse 16, when asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream, it's not in me. God will give favor, Pharaoh a favorable answer. What a perfect time to look at Pharaoh and say, yeah, I'm really good at that. I could probably be real handy to you. If I wasn't in prison and I worked for you, think about how much I... But no, it's not me. It really has nothing to do with me. It's God who does this. Chapter 41, verse 25. Joseph says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. He's constantly pointing, to, pointing Pharaoh and to the others to the Lord. That this is from God. That God is at work. And in verses 51 and 52 of chapter 41, he's been exalted. He now has an Egyptian wife. He has two sons. He is fully integrated into Egyptian culture. As far as they're concerned, he's one of them. Has he forgotten God at this point? He names his first son Manasseh, saying, God has made me forget my hardship in in my father's house. In other words, he's moved on. He's completely forgotten. The one who was forgotten now has forgotten, but not the Lord. And The other son is named Ephraim, rooted in how God had made him fruitful and blessed him. Both his son's names rooted and connected to God's activity in his life. He has not forgotten the Lord. And in this text, God's faithfulness is on display in every season of Joseph's life. And at the same time, Joseph is walking with God, trusting God, pointing others to God, never forgetting God. He never allowed Egypt to erase his faith. He remembered the Lord. I was reminded, reading this this week, of the proverb. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Remove far from me me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. See, we can forget the Lord a couple of ways. We can forget the Lord in pride when things are going well when we don't think we quote-unquote need Him. We can also forget the Lord by not living in a way that doesn't fear Him, living like we, like we think He's not mindful of us. Both are ways for us to forget the Lord. That's the temptation we face. That's the tension we live in in times of scarcity and abundance, in times of trial, in the times the good times, the mountaintops and the valleys, that in good times we will no longer look to the Lord in faith, or that in bad times we will believe the lie of the enemy that God is not looking at. You know, everybody tends to have something if they've had a bad day, bad week, something that you can do that just kind of takes your mind off that, you know. So for some people, it, it, they go, it's a hobby. It's it's golf or it's running or whatever it may be. I don't know why anybody would run for a hobby, but let's, you know. I, I believe in running when chased um, with a weapon. Um, but but everybody's got, some people, they dive into work or a relationship or, or what, some, some, sometimes it's even unhealthy things, but... But when when, when we're going through kind of a hard day or whatever, it's kind of normal for people to go, you know, whether it's the beach or whatever it may be. Something's healthy, something's unhealthy. That people look to as a a way to escape. And what they're doing is, they're saying, I'm going to change my circumstances for a little while so I can forget about what's going on, right, and reorient my thoughts for a little bit. Whether it's a sport or whatever it may be. And The thing is, that just proves something. It proves that, that we are capable in life of allowing our circumstances to reorient our thoughts. And what someone may do after a long day at work as a way to just kind of unwind, I think people are prone to do spiritually in a much more detrimental way. And believers have to be careful not to let our circumstances, whether they be good or bad, affect how we think and live towards God. In the good times, you may become self-consumed, distracted by all the new things in your life. In the hard times you may become discouraged and therefore self-consumed, distracted by all the difficult things in your life. We begin to check out. and We begin to our minds to be consumed by our circumstances. Now let me ask you, are you choosing to remember the Lord in whatever season of life you're in? In the good seasons, are you quick to give God the glory for the good in your life? Do you recognize God's hand of favor? Do you celebrate God's end of favor in your life. Are, are you using your status to point to Christ and to share Him with others? If not, you may be living like you have forgotten the Lord in your prosperity. In the hard seasons, do you recognize God's authority over all things? Are you quick to point others to Him instead of only bemoaning your circumstances? Do you fight to maintain your integrity and refuse to let your circumstances determine your character? That's what we see from Joseph. See, as believers, we know God remembers us. He's with us, just like we see throughout Joseph's story. He's with Joseph. But do we live like we know that? Do we live in light of that is always the question. You ask how? By remembering him in all seasons. The good and the bad. Giving God glory, trusting God, pointing others to the Lord. See the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he has done, transforms us into a people That our our lives are reoriented, realigned, and focused on God, with God at the center in every season of life. That's what the gospel does. Uh, Christ becomes the foundation of our lives. Uh, uh, The the Lord becomes the the center of the the spoke, the center of the spokes in the wheel. Our life begins to revolve around Him. That's what happens when we turn from our sin and believe the gospel, and we surrender our lives to Him. Are we living in light of that? Now, there's a second truth that we need to hold on to and action we need to take. I want you to notice. God makes His people fruitful in all seasons. He makes us fruitful in all seasons, and the way we lean into that is we live to bless other people, not for ourselves. See, the amazing thing about Joseph's life is the incredible fruit you see him bear in every circumstance, every season. Notice how God made Joseph fruitful, fruitful as a slave and then a prisoner. He becomes what a manager and a leader, and he's bearing fruit in those circumstances. He's He's he's, he's blessing others, he's he's, he's serving, he's doing things, he's just, man, nose to the plow. When when before Pharaoh, when he stands before Pharaoh and has his opportunity, God exalts him to, what, number two in Egypt. And God uses Joseph to enact a plan that saves the lives of many during the famine, including, as we'll see, the Messianic. line. God making Joseph fruitful in the midst of his circumstances. Through In in spite of his circumstances. Through his circumstances. Just God at work all through it. And it did not matter the situation. did not matter the circumstance. God made Joseph fruit. Bad times, good times, didn't matter. His most fruitful season actually was to come. Saving Egypt and many others including Israel. In chapter 41 verse 52 he says, he names his son, right? And he says, he mends this. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's what Ephraim means. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Even Joseph recognizes that my life is fruitful and that I've been able to do the things I do and accomplish the things I've accomplished and help people and all these things because the Lord is at work causing me to bear fruit even in the land of my affliction, Egypt, where he was sold into slavery and accused unjustly of a crime. See, you never know how God is going to use you in the situation you're in. Or use that situation that you're in somehow in the future. God can make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Here's how you lean into that. You bless others. You live to bless others. You, you, you get your eyes off yourself. You get your eyes on the other people. Notice how Joseph leaned into this. He's constantly blessing others. He was unjustly sold into slavery and in prison. In both situations, he works in a way that what? Blesses both, both managers. Both, both Potiphar and on, on to the prison guard. He's locked in prison unjustly. He could have simply pouted, but by God's grace, he chose to do what? He engages those guys. The two dreamers that have the dreams, he engages those guys. Hey, man, what's wrong? What's going on in your life? He's not thinking about himself in that moment. He could have just sit around and pouted. Why am I here? I'm just going to sit over here in the corner. No, he just goes, hey, what's going on? What's going on with you? You don't, you don't seem yourself today. You seem sad. Aren't you Just normal kindness. From that, he learns they have a dream they need interpreted. By God's grace, what? He uses the gift God has given him to interpret dreams. He uses that gift to serve them. He stands before Pharaoh and, by God's grace, interprets that dream so that Pharaoh could know what's coming and prepare. Serving Pharaoh, serving Egypt. And by God's grace, he devises a plan that saves the lives of many by storing up 20% of the food in the abundant season to sell in the famine season. And he executes that plan flawlessly all the way through. He's choosing to be fruitful by leaning into blessing others. His story is one of serving other people. All the way through his story, you see that. God's at work, but God works through certain means and he's working through Joseph in this moment. He's a blessing to Potiphar, the prison guard, the men with the dreams, Pharaoh, and ultimately, the nations. Chapter 41, verse 57 says, All the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to Byron. See, fruitful people, Fruitful people engage in the lives of others in all seasons, not disengage. We can't be fruitful, and we can't bear fruit to the glory of God like we should if we don't engage in the lives of others. Most of the fruit God wants us to bear involves us connecting with other people and serving other people. We, um, um, in our backyard, we've, we've started developing these little, little critters that like to get in our yard. So we've, in the six months that we've lived there, we've got, uh, we've got possum. I think we've had a, I've seen a possum, I've seen an armadillo, um, snake, um, spiders, one really big spider, um, and a turtle, right? And so the other day we were out there and there's a little turtle in the yard and I go out and I pick up the turtle to show it to the kids and so what did the turtle do when I picked the turtle up? Who knows, right? He did what every turtle does when you pick it up. He disappeared, right? Head goes in the shell, arms go in the shell, and like you're not getting him out of there unless you want turtle soup. And we didn't want turtle soup. And so, so we had to go out and we had to set him out in the woods and let, let him go his way. That's just, that's just what they do. That's the defense mechanism, right? Is they, just re- they just retreat because what? Scary things are happening. And we all are kind of like that turtle. When things get difficult and painful, in our life, we, look to, we look for defense. We look for shelter. We look for safety. And what we do many times is we will disengage from others. We'll run from community, we'll run from mission, we'll run from all the things that God has actually called us to do in every circumstance, and we'll kind of, we just kind of want to be alone. We stop trusting people, we stop, we stop leaning on people, and we disengage. And every believer needs to be aware of the tendency to disengage from those around you in difficult times. Disengaging in fear. And also, in times of abundance, in times where things are going well, we still disengage a lot of times, but it's usually out of distraction. We're distracted by the man, things are going good at work, and all of a sudden, work's all that matters. Wow, God's blessed me with the family, and all of a sudden, hanging out with my family is all that matters. Man, this over here is going great, and all of a sudden, that's all that matters. And we become so distracted, even by good things, even by things God's blessed us with, that we begin to disengage from the things God's called us to. And when we do that, we can't bear fruit like we're supposed to under the glory of God. God was with Joseph. To be a blessing to others. And God is with every believer to be a blessing to others. means we have to engage them. God wants to use you not just on the other side of the trial. That's what we usually think. Man, God, somebody else, God's going to use this one day. I know this is hard, but God's going to use this one day. And that's true. He might very well do that. But here's the good news of the Bible. God doesn't just want to use that one day. He wants to use you while you're in that. While you're in the trial, he still wants to work. He's not just working ahead. He's working in the present. Yes, there are really good things to come, but there are things that he wants to do right there in the present. He wants to work through you. You may be going through something, and as God empowers you with strength, he's giving strength to others as they observe that in your life. Your God-empowered example of how you go through a trial may be saving someone else from foolishness one day when they go through a similar. Your God-shaped integrity in the midst of temptation and adversity may be inspiring or even convicting others. You don't know how God's using you in the trial, not just after the trial. God is with you. And in this life, we will experience, yes, temptation like Joseph did, yes, trials like Joseph did, yes, pain like Joseph did, but God makes us fruitful in the midst of all of that. That is basically the essence of the Christian life. In Acts, "We must enter the kingdom through many trials and afflictions. It's in the middle of. Tri- the Christian life is one filled with trial, filled with difficulty, and every Christian bears fruit because that's what God does. That, the story of Joseph, in a sense, is all of our stories. God makes us fruitful in the land of our affliction. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four, one of my favorite scriptures that just show how God works through our pain. To bless others. It says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see the little chain that happens there? God comforts us. What? That we may comfort others. With what? The comfort with which we were comforted by who? By God. God's working in us to comfort us, but he's working through us. to Comfort and to encourage, kind of synonym words there. He makes us fruitful in all seasons. And see, the gospel reminds us that, that when Jesus saves us, he reorients our lives towards others. That's what he does. We, be, we become a people that don't just have this command to love one another and to love our neighbor. We become a people that really do love other people. We really do want to serve and bless other people. So when we get self-absorbed, we're actually living contrary to how the gospel is shaping us. Remember the gospel. It's the story of what? Jesus coming to give his life for other people. right? The gospel is others-oriented. It's, it's, it's the story of, of Jesus laying His down his life for others. And so when you believe and you place your faith and your trust in Christ and he comes to take up residence in your life, he begins to shape you into someone who's willing to lay down your life for other people in all seasons. And in all seasons, God wants you to bless others when things are well or when things are difficult. Joseph's service to Pharaoh as his second command ended up blessing people from all over over their part of the world. Even when he was on top. Number two in Egypt. Superpower. World superpower at the time. He was still living to bless others. So if you're succeeding in your career, lift others up. Give others opportunities. Leverage your success for people below you. That's a witness. That's a way to love your neighbor when things are going well. See, We think of love your neighbor just simply as, yeah, lift them up when they're hurting. But what do you do when things are going well for you and well for them? How do you love your neighbor then? Because we're called to love our neighbor in all seasons. Imagine for a second if someone wasn't just known for killing it at work, but for being the most generous with their time and knowledge and experience at work. Shouldn't that be what a believer is? If your marriage is great, you say, my marriage is going great. Well, pray for someone who isn't. Speak a word of encouragement to someone who's going through a difficult time in their marriage that you know about. If your kids are geniuses and they love Jesus more than you do, that is awesome. How about blessing those whose kids are struggling? And they're not geniuses. And they don't love Jesus. If you're healed of your sickness, God's made you well, seek to bless those who are not. See, every believer can bless the church and can bless others in every season of life. When things are going well or when things are not. Through prayer and service and giving and teaching and encouraging and sharing wisdom, (laughs) on and on and on, God can use you. How can God use you, even if you're hurting this morning? Even if you're busy this morning because things are going so great. How can God use you in the lives of others and the life of this church? Listen, Joseph's story, time and time again, points us ahead, as we said last night, to Jesus. Jesus, you might remember, on the cross, he looked forgotten, despised, and rejected by men. Came to his own, his own knew him not. The Bible tells us, even his friends, the twelve, right, who were now eleven, deserted him. And why does Jesus cry out on the cross? Well, a few things, but one: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Forgotten. He suffered the wrath of God, bore our shame, that we might never be forsaken, that we might never. And Jesus is the ultimate fruitful one that Joseph points to. Through Joseph, God made it so all the earth, it says, could come and have physical bread and live. He suffered and God made him fruitful and all the earth benefited for it. And through Jesus, God made it so all the earth who will believe can truly live. He is the bread of life who suffered in our place. And through him, we too can bear fruit to God's glory. Joseph's story and our story is about Jesus. And if you want to bear fruit in every season of life, you must first know the one greater than Joseph. We can't just look at Joseph's story and feel inspired and go get him. Something supernatural has to happen. Only when you know the one who suffered in your place, suffered on your behalf for your sins, and paid your sin debt, can you bear fruit to the glory of God. Only when you've t- turned from your sin and embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, only when the Holy Spirit has come to indwell and empower you. Can you bear fruit for God in all seasons, in famine or abundance? Do you know Christ? One of the sure signs that someone knows Christ is they're fruitful in all seasons. It's a mark of the believer. And believer, no matter what season you're in, know this this morning, be encouraged, God is sovereign over it. And so don't let a good season or a hard season be an excuse to remove God from the center of your life. God wants you to be fruitful. And the way you do that is to lean into others and blessing others.